All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And we're glad to have you all with us. This week we are reviewing the 1993 war epic of Gettysburg, which covers the famous Battle of the Civil War. And as we mentioned last week, uh, today we're joined by a special guest. His name is John, and he is from all sorts of varied projects, but his brand is the Tattooed Historian. John, if you'd like to say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hello, everybody. John, Jack, thank you for having me on. Um, I am originally from Pennsylvania, now living in Maryland for the current time. Uh, I am an old school historian, I guess you could say. Uh, And uh, I earned my master's degree in 2013 and went on to work alongside the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And uh, I was a historian and archivist for a couple of years and decided that wasn't for me. Uh, The cubicle life wasn't for me. So I started my project, which is called The Tattooed Historian. And uh, it's really taken off from there and allowed me to do a lot more than I thought I would be able to do and definitely more than I would be able to do in the cubicle. So uh, I'm across about nine platforms now trying to create content and keep up with everything going on. So uh, it's, it's going to be a, a wild ride into the future to see where this goes. But uh, really happy to be on this and, and to be talking with you about one of my favorite movies of all time, gentlemen. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that a, that is a serious statement or a, a, a rhetorical uh, one? Top, top two Civil War movies of all time. Okay. So well, this might this might turn into uh, an interesting conversation because yeah. me and Jack, we uh, we we uh, chatted a little bit about it because uh, we watched I, I watched it once by myself. And then, Jack, do you do you have something you would like to admit to? Uh, I'd like to just take a minute to revel in the fact that I have the first public apology of this show. <laughs> we all knew it was coming though. So I would like to apologize to our dear listeners. I made a bold claim last week that I would watch this all in one sitting. And I um <clears throat> didn't do that. It actually was like three sittings. So yeah, just, you know, <laughs> had to be, eat a bit of crow and it takes a big man to admit his faults. Well, to be fair, this is, this is a long, long movie. I, I remember uh, sending John an email like last week. I was like, Hey, I saw the director's cut is like five plus hours. I don't have the mental capability of handling that. Let's just do the theatrical cut. And then the theatrical cut turns out to be four and a half hours. And I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, I guess it didn't matter which one we chose either way. <laughs> nope. No, it is. It is an epic. And uh, it kind of harkens back to those like 1970s films. You know, it's like a. Uh, that that f- the four to five hour epics you would have of like Ben Hur or uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence of Arabia. Or... yeah, 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 and uh, that's not why I like it, but uh, but we'll get into that. But it kind of harkens back to that. I was like, this this movie had to have had an intermission when it was in when it was in theaters. It did, it did. I went and saw it twice in the theater. I sat through it twice in the theater, and you did have an intermission, so you did get a bathroom break. Okay, well, at least you didn't have to worry about missing out on anything. That's right. <laughs> so, as we uh, usually like to start off, 
Jack, what'd you think? This was a movie. Um, it was really long. It it was about the Battle of Gettysburg, and the various astute know, observations you got going here. I didn't know there was so much chatting going along the Battle of Gettysburg. But, yeah, I. Uh, you know, when we were talking about Alamo a couple of weeks ago, my biggest complaint was about how we didn't really get a, a deeper look into the characters of the, you know, the main people who were involved in that battle. And this movie kind of goes to the opposite end of the spectrum where it seems like every single person gets a monologue in this movie. And at times it, it just it gets to be much um or a little frustrating i don't know how you feel about that john but there were definitely times in this movie where i was just thinking to myself i'm like this is the the largest land battle in north american history and there seems to be more uh philosophical chatting than there is fighting going on uh yeah you we have to remember too that this is based on a novel and uh it's based on the killer angels by michael shara and that's the way the chapters were set up the chapters are set up as characters uh not like chapter two the battle of culp's hill or whatever else it was you know chamberlain and buford and Longstreet and all that so you're almost bound to have these kind of scenes where the scenes are kind of like the chapters where okay, this is the long street scene for this particular for day two or whatever the case may be. And he gets his time to shine or whatever you want to say with that. Um, I actually read that book when I was eight and uh, it was the first kind of historical novel I ever read in my life. And that's what, when I finally learned that I was into this sort of thing. Uh, so to see the movie kind of taking that same line, but again, you can't get everything in the book into the movie. They tried four hours is a long time. They, they tried to get it all in there. Um, but I think that's why it appealed to me so much in that time period, because we have to remember it's 1993. Uh, we don't even have email yet, (laughs) you know? So, so we have all these devices that kind of help us to like, get through long movies back then we didn't think about that kind of stuff um and i, and I, I won't think, lie i think you're I, right though that that's that's how it is you know with with those long kind of scenes and then someone gets to get their speech out there for a little bit and stuff i was gonna say i'm not gonna lie i i did quite a bit of scrolling on the phone during this film <laughs> at least the second watch through yeah, we didn't have that option in 1993. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we were kind of stuck in the in the theater with a bunch of other nerds uh, watching this film. But um, I think it was just a, it was a it was made for the time, you know, uh, like Ben Hur was made for the time and, and stuff. It definitely it is. It's very reminiscent of. It seems like Ron Maxwell was trying to meet somewhere in between the middle of Glory and a Ken Burns documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we can see that 
in, in the opening and the closing of this movie, it's a very heavily influenced by the, the Ken Burns style, if you will. But um, I don't know. It just, when watching this movie, it felt to me as like, he's trying to make a longer, more in-depth glory, but it's not as captivating. At least for me, it wasn't um, in that sense. Because I think glory came out in 89 89 I, I believe yeah so i mean and the ken burns civil war series came out in 90 or 91 so um this was you know very recent memory and you could see the success of both of those programs where you could see you know where ron maxwell would be like well, both of these were super good and successful why don't i make a four and a half hour gettysburg epic and i will make all the dollars from it you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. and you have the backing of ted turner who has tnt <laughs> television where it runs later on so you're you you're checking all those boxes you know where it's like okay maybe we can make a go at this and and put out this epic you're absolutely right it's kind of like the book ending of civil war popular history at that time because you do have glory and then you do have the Ken Burns series and everyone is just hyped on this stuff. And it's the, one of the, uh, the peaks of the civil war hobby, as far as studying it or reenacting it. And now comes this large scale epic and, and it just seriously, um, drives things forward. I mean, the, the, the movie is why I became a reenactor, uh, cause I wanted to, march in those lines and fire those cannons and stuff like that. And I, you know, that, that was just one of those things that impacted me from that. But again, that was a, you know, 12, 13 year old kid seeing this and it's like, wait, I can do this. I can, right. I can fire cannons and, and do all this crazy stuff. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, with, with, with that time and knowing that that is everything is hot right now for civil war stuff at that time. Um, it, why not try it? you know, and see what happens. So I know you mentioned that it was a big part of you getting into the reenacting hobby. I, that was something I wanted to touch on was, uh, the, the number of reenactors that this film had was really impressive. And I think it was also, it was something that was both a benefit to the film, but it was also a detriment. Um, cause for me, Obviously, these reenactors, a lot of these guys are people who are super vested in the topic. They love the history. You know, it is what they do in their free time. Um, And so, you know, the producers of this film, they have a built in core of people who can come and fill in, you know, these large, you know, bodies of troops to you know because this was at a time when cgi was not uh really permissive of replacing people yet Mm -hmm. in battlefield scenes um so it is very you know it was very impressive seeing like the the day they did the pickets charge scene and having was like 20 plus cannons all in one shot going off like that's very impressive and i'm sure you know obviously it influenced you but i'd have to imagine that the reenacting community probably saw a big uptick after this movie came up oh yeah yeah there was a huge bump after it and it was definitely in 
the eastern part of the United States, there was a huge bump because people could then go to Gettysburg and and reenact and and do the Pickett's Charge thing and 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 be like they just witnessed in the movie and hang out with guys who were actually in the movie uh, because they they picked all the reenactors they could to get into this film. Like you said, they had these masses of mass amount of people, and in fact, there's still stories going around Gettysburg where. Uh, they would have less men on the field than they needed. And they would go to like Walmart and, and get locals and be like, Hey, do you want to help <laughs> out with this? And, and you can Just- tell in some points there's a, there's a scene in uh, the little round top scenario where the Confederates of the 15th Alabama are rolling up towards the 20th Maine, And you see this guy, it's in one of the, one of the advances and you see this guy and he has his musket down at his waist instead of up at his shoulder and he fires it from down at his waist like waist firing it and he's looking at it like it's a foreign object and i'm like i know that guy was one of those guys was plucked out of a store somewhere (laughs) it's like hey you want to come out here and do this and he's like how do you use this thing you know and making sure it works right or stuff because he's looking at it like he's never used this before and and i'm like that's one of those people they probably plucked out of the the local population like hey we need someone that looks like a civil war soldier just get out here um but you could do that back then uh right. you know reenacting in the 90s was even less safe than, <laughs> than uh you know i got i got the stories for that too but but back you know, in the day we used real bayonets <laughs> oh yeah i remember i remember when we, when we were allowed on the small events to use real bayonets and and uh yeah it's I've been cut by one. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Talk about <laughs> sacrificing for your art. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 well, I was reenacting with a bunch of guys who served in Vietnam. They didn't fear much, you know, <laughs> and it's, uh, that, that, and he, these are the same guys who were in this movie. Um, so much so that it was passed down to us when we came into these organizations and stuff, they would talk about being in the movie. And when they said the movie, they meant Gettysburg because there was no other Civil War movie at that time. They met Gettysburg. And they're like, well, we were at the movie and Ted Turner was there and his wife, Jane Fonda, showed up and we all just like turned our backs on them because <laughs> of what Jane Fonda had done during the Vietnam War. And so that, it's that that still resonated with them and that was still part of their lives. So these are the guys that you're watching on, in this movie. These guys are Korean War veterans uh, Vietnam veterans and, and regular old just civilians who, who got involved in reenacting and, and they're, they're being pushed out there into these massive, um, uh, shots like you saw with, with 20 cannons lined up and everything else. I mean, this propelled popular culture and popular history in the, in the civil war field for years to come. I remember going to events in the late nineties and we're still talking about this and, there's, I remember being on a gun line of artillery, there's 45 cannons on the gun line. And it's like the real thing almost where you're like, wow, this is, this is getting really cool, you know? And, and each one of those guns was in the movie. So, and in Gettysburg. So this thing really impacted a lot of people. And that's why I said it's in my top two civil war movies of all time, because I, I've felt that impact. That is, uh, that is really impressive. I think, you know, going back a little earlier when I said it was also to the detriment a little bit mm-hmm. is that obviously you have a lot of people who are very passionate about this subject, but that also brings up the fact that, you know, they're not professional actors per se. Yeah. 
I know there's quite a few different scenes that me and Jack kind of just burst out laughing because there would be a scene where there's not even an explosion or the person falling. It's just like a quick two second cut of a person flying through the air. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like a very Monty Python, like, ah, <laughs> or, or like one scene where uh, a group of a company gets uh, hit by a shell and you see a person fall down with the flag, but like they keep their arms straight up in the air with the flag up. So somebody right. else can grab it from them. Right. Um, and you know, if you're not looking for that stuff, you probably miss it. But there's there if you if you look closely, there's a lot of things in this movie where you're like, you, it's like you said, you're the guy they picked up at Walmart. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and there were like that's that's funny you mentioned the uh, the the flag bearer thing. And and I know exactly what you're talking about because I've seen, I've probably watched this movie 500 times. Okay. And so, so I know I, I used to know four hours of lingo from this movie. I could, I could go front to back and do the entire script. And that's how nerdy <laughs> we were back then. Cause we had nothing else to do. We might as well watch this movie again. Uh, but I remember like reenactors saying, don't never let the flag touch the ground. No, it doesn't matter which one it is. Don't let it touch the ground. And so that's that mentality of reenactorisms. Uh, the flag should be touching the ground because the guy just got shot dead, <laughs> but you're taught to like hand it off to the next person or whatever else. So you are seeing the reenactorisms come out as I call them in, in the, in the movie. And you are seeing a lot of the, the lost cause mentality coming out too uh, with this, but that's how, that's how it was taught to us in the early nineties still, right. even in school. And so you see that kind of old way of thinking of, the war itself, the battle. And so it's a great microcosm of that historical memory of the early nineties, clear back to the centennial days. Right. So you actually, you brought up the the next thing I wanted to chat about. And I know both me and Jack, uh, we were like, you know, us being from the next generation up from you, uh, mm-hmm we you know we both grew up in a time frame where in high school we're high school and college we were getting taught the the new revised version of the civil war which is mm-hmm. you know big on debunking uh the lost cause and very you know this is slavery centric theory um, could you kind of go in for our listeners who don't know as much? Could you kind of give us a brief overview of Lost Cause and kind of where that came from? Oh, sure. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that we are disengaging with the Lost Cause behavior. Um, I I was firmly entrenched in it for years because that's what I was taught, and uh, you didn't really question it for a long time. But Lost Cause. Uh, theory or the law, the idea of the lost cause started right after the war itself ended. And this is the time frame where everyone's trying to reconcile with what they had just gone through, the massive trauma that America had just gone through. And it was the idea of uh, there always has to be a winner and a loser, but we start to see this idea that the people who lost the war are trying to reframe why they even fought in the first place to kind of make it a little bit easier 
pill to swallow, let's say. Um, it's it's a lot of trying to glaze over causation and saying, no, it was never about slavery. It was about states' rights. And then you ask, well, states' rights to do what? <laughs> yeah. And 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 then we can we can move from there. But the the very the fundamentals of the lost cause mentality are brought about after the war, after the fact. Hindsight's wonderful. You can go back and you can say, well, I didn't really believe that, but you know, this is what we believed. But their secession documents say otherwise, and and their writings say otherwise, and they're and, and so there is a whole reckoning with the lost cause. And we see it gravitate towards many different Americans, North and South, many different white Americans who are coming together for reconciliation because we're starting to go into the Jim Crow era of American history uh, later on in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it becomes this kind of bedrock of white reconciliation and saying, well, you know, we, we gallantly fought one another or my father fought gallantly or whatever, but didn't believe this or that or whatever else. It was only about, you know, states' rights versus a strong central government. And they say that in the beginning of the movie Gettysburg. It's in there. It's right in the beginning of it. They say, you know, that one side believes in a strong central government and the other side believes in states' rights. They don't mention slavery in the beginning of this movie. Right. And I think one of the kind of the one of the most telling scenes in this entire movie and, is, you know, is often one of the most quoted scenes of this movie that, you know, projects that mentality is uh, I'm fine for my rats. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That that one. And there's one more, John, that's like just makes me shake my head every time and it's the quintessential lost cause stuff it's when longstreet's talking to Fremantle, and he says we should have freed the slaves and then fired on fort sumter and it's like well then what are you fighting for yeah because the secession documents say this is what you're fighting for i mean the the, the he's from south carolina slash georgia it depends on what what era we're talking about uh but even longstreet's you know home states you look at the secession documents from South Carolina and Georgia, and you know exactly what they're fighting for. Oh, they yeah. say it. And, and you, uh, Texas is the worst secession yeah, it's document. Like, it's like mine too. Right, right. And I mean, you, the, the first, it's no coincidence that the first two states to secede have the heaviest population of enslaved people. That's no coincidence. You have South Carolina and Mississippi, the, the two big, the two bedrocks of the Confederacy. And to hear that in a movie is just so hilarious to us. But it also goes back to that old reconciliation stuff, where it's, what does it say, like the same land, same God, different dreams. It's, it's what are you even talking about? Uh, we, we can't get the dreams right, <laughs> you know? So, but we didn't touch that back then. And it's to, it was to our detriment that we didn't really engage with this kind of what, what your generation is engaging with and why we keep butting heads as a society is because we didn't engage the, the proper narrative and the, and the, the proper documents for years, we glazed it over and said, Oh, you know, it, it we've, we've reconciled, we've moved on when we, we never did. We haven't moved on. We're still fighting 
reconstruction 3.0 in some cases oh yeah well i mean the the you know we 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 saw that with the reemergence of the you know the the confederate statue debate a few years ago and you know it's it's obviously still something that's going on today but you know that was uh you know i think that was a big that started really picking up speed right at the end of our college career um Mm -hmm. for me and jack we we went to the same school so Mm -hmm. the great hasn't been able to get rid of me since no Well, the interesting the interesting part of this whole equation, guys, is that when the movie came out, I decided I wanted to reenact. And for 15 years, I reenacted Confederate. So I heard all this stuff. Isn't that uh, the doesn't that tend to be the most popular side of Civil War reenacting? Isn't there like like three Confederate reenactors for every Union reenactor back then? Yeah. Yeah, back then it was, we always outnumbered the U.S. Army guys. Um, that was the way it was. And it was that that idea that transpired from Gettysburg. And then you, you always had people who were either, they loved Gettysburg or they loved Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Ooh. And there's your two big ones right there. And there's and uh, there good, old An- good old Annabellum South. Right. There you see where we're heading with this thing. Uh, I reenacted with guys who hated glory. Really? And, yeah, because they didn't want that story to be told. These are the people I reenacted with. That's why I have, that's why I understand some of the dog whistles and stuff. I know what they're saying. So when you see, I mean, the, how can you, how can you hate Denzel's performance? He was magnificent in that film. He was magnificent. Yeah. That's my top civil war movie of all time. Um, but you know, the, the ideas that we got from Gettysburg still resonate in that town with the idea of reconciliation, with the idea of, uh, this glorious kind of combat, you know, and, and people want to see each other on both sides. And, you know, basically Harmstead wants to shake hands across the wall with Hancock, just like the veterans do. That's all set up back in, <laughs> in the early 1900s. That's, that's not even done for real. That's a, that's a thing for the, the uh, photographs. But that's the kind of feeling we get from this movie in that regard. So I'm seeing it as a period piece and kind of harkening back to when I was a kid. And saying this is why this movie really resonates with me because it impacted my next step in my life. You guys could look at this movie and say, this thing is just too long and these guys just bloviate too much. And I understand that because we're used to hard hitting like the new all quiet on the Western front or, or something like that, where it's like, it's in your face. You get to meet the characters for a little time. There's no big speeches and we're done. (laughs) <laughs> you know uh we we want the we want the topic we want that all together right. so i understand i i understand there's a generational thing here too um you know that we have to look at that component is big i know jack when we were talking about this the other day um you mentioned that you personally would have probably enjoyed this more had it been presented in a different way not even topic wise but like in the formatting of it, whether it was a shorter film mm-hmm. or, or broken up, like for you, what do you think would have made this film more palatable? Uh, mini series on HBO directed by Tom Hanks. Yes. I like this, I like this idea. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, <laughs> Jared Leto as General Longstreet. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, I hate Jared Leto. Uh, no, I like the I like the idea, Jack, of a miniseries. That's that's interesting. Mm. Tom Holland as General Robert E. Lee. Tom Holland as General oh. Lee. Please, mm. someone stop me before I continue. Mm. I think mm. he's a, a year too too young for that. Yeah. And an, another thing, like this, um, it's important to note Martin Sheen's height is five foot seven, but Robert E. Lee was six foot one to six foot two. I know he can't help that, so I don't hold it against him. And he actually did a really good job as Robert E. Lee. Not that I'm saying I know the guy Robert E. Lee. Never <laughs> even heard of his. Never even heard his voice, but. I don't think anybody has, or I think this was the time before he died before recordings. Yeah. He was a bit late. Um, (laughs) One of the, it's important to note that I'm not as big of a history guy as uh, say John or John, but (laughs) I do know a bit of history, but I still struggled with recognizing the commander's names and their ranks and whatnot. I felt like I should knew, should have known that. However, I immediately knew who Robert E. Lee was. I did a school project on him once. Yeah, how'd that go? Um, it was actually cool as hell because my barber is into Civil War reenacting and he let me have the costume he wears for his Confederate soldier. I felt like a badass. But then again, I remembered who I was portraying and what he fought for, and that kind of put a damper on that. Mm. But still, I got extra credit for that costume. I will say the the uniforms back then were really something. Mm -hmm. They don't make them like they used to. (laughs) They sure don't. It's a lot easier to tell which side you were on back then. (laughs) Yeah, after first bull run, it it got a lot easier. I remember, uh, I will say there was a lot of interesting, just, I think your average moviegoer or kind of your somebody who's into history, but it's not their primary thing. There's a lot of small details that they probably would miss in this film. Like I know when we watched it together, Jack asked me, there's a scene, I believe it is, it was outside of, uh, Meade's headquarters. And there was one soldier dressed in the Zuoff uniform. And Jack is like, what in the hell is that? (laughs) It's like, what's with Mr. Fancy Pants over here? (laughs) How come I didn't get to wear that outfit for school? Yeah, Jack, you really felt like a badass then. Yeah. But I feel like uh, the, the movie does provide a lot of opportunities for people to ask questions like that, because then I, you know, I spent 10 minutes telling him about, you know, who the zoos were mm-hmm. and like what their deal was. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, it's a gateway, a gateway drug. You're trying to understand this period of history because you're, because it's not, uh, it's not a gore fest of a war movie and it allows people of varying ages to watch it. Uh, we can talk about the lost cause narrative of that time like we have been and saying that, okay, we, we know better now or we don't put this in mass media or whatever the case may be. We can look at the uniforms and say, huh, I wonder what that uniform would have felt like when I, if I would have had the chance to wear it. 
um, you know, it, it, it really is that entryway for so many people. It literally was for me to reenacting, but I think it can be an entryway for people to watch a part of it. If they can't sit through the whole thing, watch a segment of it that you're really interested in. Oh, I want to understand what Pickett's charge was or something, and then go to the battlefield or, or look up another video of the thing on YouTube or something. I think it can be a, a good introduction. I mean, the Ken Burns series on the civil war is what 10 episodes or nine episodes or something like that. Uh, I've never sat through the whole thing in one sitting. So you pick and choose. That's a big ask. Yeah. So you pick and choose. Uh, I think that this movie in that way for the younger generations, I'm sounding like an old man, uh, can do that where it can be like, ah, I, I just want to watch the little round top sequence, or I just want to watch this and try to get an idea of something, but it's definitely not a documentary, uh, <laughs> you know? So uh, uh, too many people think this is based on a true story. Yeah. The battle Gaysburg happened, but it's actually a historical novel that this is based off of. So we have to keep that right. in mind. So sp- speaking a little round top, what did we think of uh the i don't even know if scene is the right term for it considering it's 30 minutes of this film but what did we think of the portrayal of the battle of little round top and what did we think of uh the portrayal of uh joshua chamberlain oh uh (laughs) well there's a couple things uh one the uh the real hero of little round top you only see him for a split second uh and that's governor warren he's up there he's at the officer looking through his binoculars and the flags from the signal corps are waving that's the mm. guy who went up there and he's like hey i think it'd be a good idea to come up here <laughs> you know this is a nice hill uh no one's here it's a nice sunny day and the enemy's coming this direction i think we should go here well um, if only they had listened to sam elliott at the beginning of the film I tell you I tell you, we gotta get the high ground. So I remember the first time I went to Gettysburg as a kid, I had no idea where I was because I was all like seven years old and I was not into history at the time. Like it didn't click yet, you know, and my father took me to Gettysburg for the 125th anniversary of the battle, which tells you how long ago it was because we're getting ready to go into the 160th. So this is 1988. And Nobody was talking about Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain at that time. Nobody. What they were talking about was who they talked about was Governor Warren, the guy up there with the Signal Corps, saying that, hey, we need to put men on this hill because it's kind of tactically important. But Ken Burns and the movie Gettysburg solidified Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain in the minds of Americans as the hero of Little Round Top, and it's never been the same since. He is now deified on that. And uh, the one thing, the one other thing that I'll note as a nerd uh, is that he tells his men to pile the rocks high, okay? Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, the real Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, made the park at the time put up a sign and if you go to Little Round Top and you you stay on basically what I in that little saddle between Big and Little Round Tops, and you look towards the twentieth main uh, area, you will see the stone wall, but you will see a sign, 
And the sign says this stone wall was constructed as defensive works on the, I think it says the night of July 2nd, 1863, or something like the morning of July 3rd, 1863. Chamberlain insisted that that sign went up because he didn't want his men to be seen as hiding behind a stone wall. And that wall was not there. It was legitimately not there when his men were there. They fought in the open on the side of the hill. They didn't pile the rocks up high or whatever. And I always thought he's rolling over in his grave right now because the rest of the world is seeing that they're piling the rocks up to hide behind the stones, quote, hide. Uh, so I know Chamberlain would not appreciate that part of that. <laughs> I, I find the manliness thing in this film kind of ridiculous. Uh, mm. Jack, you remember when... Uh, Longstreet was talking to uh, God, what was the the British colonel's name again? Fremantle. Uh, Fremantle, yeah. You remember when F- Fremantle was uh, he was saying um, he's expecting you to abandon this position and flank him on the other side, but instead you'll be attacking him right where he doesn't expect it. Yeah, because it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Arthur. Uh, Arthur didn't have a red uniform on either. He would not have that uniform on. (laughs) I was, I was, I even mentioned that. Like, if he, if a a commander actually wore that in battle, how quick do you think he'd get shot? (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a he's a uh, basically he's a observer from england and yeah and he's not he's not bringing that uniform onto the battlefield he's and in civilian garb there john mentioned that like he wasn't some commander like they assumed he was he was literally just some guy yeah like like europe, a tourist europe had sent so many advi- uh, uh people over to watch the action that was a big thing in the 19th century we sent people over to watch the crimean war in the 1850s. In fact, George B. McClellan was one of those we sent over there to watch what happens during the Crimean War and bring back information. Uh, now so we Fremantle, just watch it on Fremantle's YouTube. doing the same thing. Uh, how little things change. Yes, although now we just watch on cell phones. YouTube and... <laughs> right, TikTok, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, the Battle of Little Round Top is easily... And I'm sure a lot of people would probably say that for themselves, but it is, it is an impressive scene and it is very inspiring. I I love the scene, you know, just the, um, even though it does look a teeny bit corny, it is still a a powerful scene. And, you know, it's like you said, there are other people who should probably be raised up higher than Chamberlain, but also, I mean, you know, Chamberlain still did a very impressive and brave thing that day. And, you know, obviously he was awarded the Medal of Honor for it. So as much as other people probably deserve as much, if not more credit than him, I'm not mad about how much he's been propped up because he's still an impressive individual in his own right. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I am in no place <laughs> to say these people weren't brave, <laughs> you know, or or whatever the case may be. Uh, he did always, for the rest of his life, he never played down any, he was never humble about what he supposedly did there. Uh, 
the, the students at Bowdoin College would watch him walk by and they would say, there's the hero of Little Round Top. They'd whisper it around him and he would always smile and, and stuff. So he was never the kind to say, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was my men. It was, you know, he w- he had a pretty big ego. And uh, I guess you have to in some ways. But um, they, we talk about Dan Sickles having an ego. Uh, let me tell you. Oh, Joshua had an ego. And uh, his actually, when you guys watch that movie and you watch that part of the movie, his second in command, Spear, um, uh, the guy with the absolutely great facial hair. And uh, don't call me Lawrence. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that's his brother, uh, Tom. But Ellis Spear, who's with him, and he's kind of like his second in command there. Uh, they will butt heads after the war because Spear thinks that Chamberlain is glorifying war. And Spear's like, no, it was absolutely atrocious. I don't want anything to do with glorifying this and all this other stuff. So even these two guys who in the movie are very close because they're in combat together and they're fighting this battle together, this uh, tremendous battle on the left flank of the line, they butt heads later on as far as how they see their experience. And I know I'm getting a little deeper than just reviewing the movie, but it really, we we take this wherever it goes. So we really, but it really opens that door, right. To wonder what these guys actually thought of each other, since this is based on a novel and uh, that's the direction it kind of goes. I definitely, I found all of these different portrayals. Very, very interesting. Um, Jack, who was who was your favorite character in, in this entire film, or what was your your favorite performance? That one random extra that flew off of Round Top Hill when the cannonball hit him, and then it immediately cut to the next scene. He really stole the show. <laughs> or maybe it was the flag guy that was shot, but God bless him, held it off the ground and handed it to the next guy. That was really inspiring. But. <laughs> Uh, I will say, you know, I already expressed an appreciation for, uh, um, God, his, his name just slipped my mind. Chamberlain, uh, Jeff Daniels. Daniels. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I always do a bit of research after watching the, the movies and, uh, apparently Jeff Daniels, have you ever seen that TV show where they take celebrities and they, do like a genealogy ancestry type deal for them. And then the whole episode is just kind of explaining the family history for these celebrities. And I think it's an interesting concept because obviously I don't think a lot of people would get into ancestry or that kind of stuff. If it wasn't like, Oh, this is the cool stuff. My favorite celebrity found out like, what does it bring to me? Um, But apparently when he took on the role as Joshua Chamberlain, he didn't know this at the time and it wasn't until he did this ancestry thing, but apparently he's actually descended from one of the soldiers of the 20th Maine who was there that day. Obviously he's not related to Chamberlain himself, but it's it's weird to see how that kind of history or that story intersects where you have just, you just have an actor who's like, yep, I'm going to sign up for this role because it, appeals to me or it's going to pay me well what have you and then you know unintentionally he finds out later he has a direct connection to you know this this major part of this movie and Mm -hmm. you know 
it just makes me think how many other of the the extras or other actors have that kind of connection to this battle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's bound to happen. I mean, uh, it's crazy how that does happen with those big name characters, you know, uh, but uh, a lot of us who got into the reenacting hobby because of the movie or beforehand, uh, some of us found out later that we had ancestors at Gettysburg uh, and we didn't know when we first started. So it's kind of interesting to see that we only learn these things after we get involved in something like that. I didn't know when I first got involved in reenacting that I had civil war ancestors at Gettysburg and I know now of two. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see some of the, the bigger names in the acting world do those kinds of things and then find out, Oh, you have a connection to that battle yourself through your genealogy. And I think that's a, a tremendous thing to watch because it humanizes the role even more. And Tom Berenger <laughs> played Longstreet, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what a magnificent a, beard. There was a movie being filmed in where, my hometown a couple years ago about the, I think it was Battle of the Bulge. And I know Tom Berenger as Sergeant Barnes from Platoon. And mm-hmm. he was playing the general in that movie. And I signed up to be an extra there, but I didn't get the role. But a good buddy of mine did. And he looked amazing. He looked like he stepped right out of a portrait of a World War II soldier. But he was on set with Tom Berenger. And apparently Tom Berenger is a really cool guy. Like, absolutely grounded, amazing, the stories he'd tell. And <laughs> one of the lines that me and my buddy still quote is during that scene, obviously he's stressed because, you know, war. But he has this folder, and he says to the... He belts out to the audience, and where's that goddamn intel on those Panzers? <laughs> or no, where's that intel on those goddamn Panzers? <laughs> we still quote that at each other, like when one of us is like yelling at it about a game or something. Man, if he maybe if he had been assertive like that, then maybe Lee would have listened to him. Yeah, they yeah. would have known about the Panzers. Yeah. Well, let's remember that also Jeff Daniels, after this movie, uh, went and did Dumb and Dumber. So, <laughs> Range. And I'm like, wow, that's that's a 180 right there. If I ever saw that, you know. Um, but yeah, mine. I think I think uh, my probably my standout character would it's got to be Sam Elliott as Buford. Uh, he's too old, but but the he high plays ground. The part well. He, he plays the part well, and uh, obviously Sam Elliott's going to play a cavalry officer. I mean, oh, the guy, he has the guy to. can ride a horse like nobody else. So I mean, obviously he's going to be the cav guy. I think of all the Sam Elliott performances I've seen, this is probably for me the second best. the The best mm-hmm. one is his portrayal of uh, Sergeant Major Plumley, and we were soldiers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 but the the grizzled sergeant or the you know the toughest nails general like he pulls off that that role spectacularly. Although you know, as with many things in this film, his lot and you can't help the lines that he's given 
but it was a little ham-fisted where he's like, I got it. After the fifth time you say the high ground, I, I got the importance yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. Star it's Wars like, taught me the importance of that. Yeah. Yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi would be proud of you, Sam Elliott. <laughs> and as you historians know, that was the most popular movie requested among soldiers on both sides of the Civil War is episode three. <laughs> I mean, which I mean, come on. Come on. It's got to be. Yeah. yeah yeah but the 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 uh the coolest thing i think out of the whole movie at least for me and the, and the part that i can watch like consistently is that our is that artillery bombardment before biggest charge because i've i've witnessed that kind of thing reenacting and i it's something i will never forget and so to watch it on film in a way that we couldn't uh show you that back then like i didn't we didn't have the cell phones and, and stuff like that so i couldn't i would love to do a TikTok live of a 40 gun you know <laughs> bombardment of this thing i'd be freaking amazing um or or drone going overhead while we're blazing away because the the sensory end of this is amazing think, uh... and, and, and that's one of my favorite scenes because of that i think if i'm not mistaken uh the artillery barrage for Pickett's charges. I think that's the only time in this film we get a like aerial crane shot because everything else seems to be at ground level. I might be mistaken, but I that kind of stuck out to me because we go like three and a half hours into this movie and everything's at ground level, and then all of a sudden we get the like it's zooming out so you can see the entire gun line. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't know he knew how to do this film technique. Yeah, and then they do it for Piggy's Charge. Uh, they do that that overhead kind of flyby. In fact, I think they, I, I don't know because I wasn't there. I think they used a helicopter for that to go down the line from above. Oh, at, the days before uh, drones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It cost a lot more money uh, back then to do that stuff. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't describe how awesome it is to, stand behind original civil war cannons and and pull lanyards on them and you know hear them with and back then when you go to the nps site today a uh, national park service site uh, there are many rules <laughs> for firing artillery um, yeah they, like they get really round. uptight even about yeah, uh, I just trash one, so one, i think it's uh, one round every 10 minutes now what somewhere around there it's it's a long time one one round every seven minutes one round every 10 minutes something like that what they're trying to do is make sure there are no burning embers inside the tube uh, inside the muzzle or inside the bore uh because you don't want to have a cook-off well we used to just sponge the gun all the time with water and that would take care of most of it and you seal off the the vent hole with a thumb stall which is a leather thing that you put around your thumb and you stick it there so that seals off the air so you're already extinguishing everything inside but the nps yeah, went a step further and they're like no you also have to wait like 10 minutes well it's like the the guys 150 years ago got this figured out like right they they knew what they were doing uh so back when I started right after this movie came out, I'm on a gun with guys who were on guns in Vietnam. Okay. And, and they, they're not waiting 10 minutes. Okay. And we didn't have that rule back then. We were firing two rounds a minute 
at that time. So when you are seeing these guys in the movie firing these cannons, they are good enough to fire like two rounds a minute and, and keep that going and keep that going. That's civil war style firing of, of that. And, and Maxwell never like held them back from doing that. And on top of that, I think right now it's like eight ounces of powder or something is eight or nine ounces of powder is what they give you at the NPS now. Oh, for uh, like a blank charge for a blank charge. Yeah. We were firing two and a half pounds. <laughs> yeah we were firing full war we were firing full war rounds is what we called them so it was like it was we would do a uh, we would do a nice round quote unquote which is two and a half <laughs> pounds you know, or we would do a reenactment round which was two pounds mm-hmm. so two sticks of dynamite is what it sounds like going off and when you see the guns in the movie you see them recoil that's because there's two pounds to two and a half pounds of powder coming out the end of that it's a lot of force. It's about 140 decibels. It's about like staying next to a jet engine when it goes off. And we're just pounding away with this thing over and over. And you see it in this movie. And I'm like, that's the last time that we really see this on film in a massive scale where you're seeing this like, yeah, that smoke is legit. That's what it looked like. And and the sound and you know, we're, we were setting car alarms off in parking lots, you know, hundreds of yards away because we're just blazing away with this stuff. So when I watched the movie, it, it harkens back to that time when we didn't have to, you know, wait so long to fire the next round or we didn't have to worry about the amount of powder we use. We use what that gun said. It was, you know, like what you're supposed to use in that gun. What it was rated for. What it was rated for. And none of us used earplugs, <laughs> which is why I have problems hearing today huh? I mean, yeah i mean you do you run the gun for 10 years with no earplugs uh you're gonna you're gonna have some long-term effects and uh you know but that movie reminds me of that and i will watch that bombardment and then i'll just turn it off because i'm like that's all i need to see you know i just want to see that again and hear that and it's just one of those things guys where you don't have to watch all four hours you know, you want to see what it looked like. That's probably the most authentic part of that movie is that bombardment. Uh, because, you know, and, and the, the little round top scenes, like you say, are, are pretty intense. Um, but, you know, if I got to watch one scene, that's it. That's the one I'm watching. That artillery scene actually caused me to be very cranky um, because, you know, obviously we've mentioned everybody everybody gets their speech everybody gets their send my regrets to general hancock you know all that stuff <laughs> right um but a lot of the times that we're having these speeches um you know i was telling jack um it it wouldn't have been at that rate that we see at before Pickett's charge, but during the Battle of Gettysburg, the the artillery fire would have been more or less nonstop, just mm-hmm. during the 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 three day span, and it it was just infuriating to me to have these scenes where like Longstreet is talking to Lee or you know Chamberlain sitting on the top of Big Round Top after you know his big battle. And it's just perfectly silent in the background and they're just having their conversation. And then we get to the next battle scene and then we see, you know, get the, you know, big cacophony of explosions. And I'm like, 
could we not have recorded maybe like 10 minutes of artillery fire and just looped it into the background just i i don't know i don't know if that would have been too big of an ask but it really just it made it hard for me to focus on when they were talking because i'm like there's stuff missing here hmm. Hmm. there's definitely sound going on in other parts of the line uh at that time the the men often talked about having hours of just lull you know there's nothing going on uh, it's, there's a lull in the fight um yeah. and there's it's just quiet and uh the men so much talked about how their ears hurt when it was quiet because they're so used to hearing the guns going off and and stuff uh so i mean they, they even talk about the federal soldiers the u.s army soldiers right before the bombardment starts on the third day they're they're on the stone wall uh just trying to get something to eat and and chat and talk and they're like all of a sudden just one lone gun fires and then there's a pause and then all hell breaks loose so they can pick out one gun out of that entire line across from them and they say oh i wonder what that is and then all of a sudden it all lights up uh, so there are some instances where you have these lulls where it's like there's nothing going on uh people are moving into position or you know getting some grub for the first time in hours if not a couple of days and and they're like oh now all of a sudden this 120 gun bombardment starts you know out of out of nowhere okay yeah. so it was it wasn't like continuous continuous but hmm. um i feel like yeah. a battle of that size it's hard to think of it as being that quiet in as many times as we see in this film yeah, there's definitely something going on on some part of the line. You know, it, it, there might be a lull on one end and not the other, or, you know, one end's getting hit and not the other one, or the center's not getting hit. Uh, there's definitely something going on somewhere on that line. I mean, you're talking 150,000 men in one space, in a tight space, considering these are the same numbers of men we had in Normandy in the invasion. And you're putting them in this little area and saying, go ahead, <laughs> fight it out, you know, as soon as you see somebody. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, uh, a lot of sound going on and uh, either directly in front of you or off in the distance. Man, imagine how tense those times of just quiet were. You're in the middle of a war. Nothing's going on. You're probably going out of your mind waiting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're there with everyone you grew up around. You know? And these units are made up of guys who grew up together. They're from your local area. And you just can't shake that feeling of knowing that across the field, about a mile away, there's either a cannonball, a bayonet, or a musket ball with your name on it. And it could be any one of them. Yeah, there's no doubt some of those uh, soldiers of the U.S. Army saw those guns lining up on the other side of the field, and and they knew they knew something was going to happen sooner or later. They're not lining up for the fun of it, and uh, so you're absolutely right, Jack. Where it's it builds that that uh, that tension. And then you, then you start playing the mind game of, okay, when's this going to start and how's this going to end? And, and, you know, am I going to survive this? And, and so much more, uh, that, that part 
of the battle will always, that third day will always be the most talked about. Um, it's definitely one of the most, um, how should I say it? Most mythologized of that, of that battle. You know, people still walk the Pickett's Charge field, like, and, and, and they reminisce and they talk about it. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I, I, I don't know what it would have been like to have been a, a soldier on that line looking out across there just waiting for something to happen. It had to be one of the most tense moments, you know, until the only thing I could say it's probably close to is when, when we have our guys in the First World War you know, who, who know the enemy's just over there. I wonder if they're going to come over here today or not. Yep. You know, there's only so much you can do to kill the boredom and the tension. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys do some crazy stuff to kill the boredom and tension. You think, you know, our, our generation in the early days of the, of G Watt, as we call it, uh, with global war on terror, uh, you know, we have all the videos to show how, how crazy our generation can be in the field because you're trying to break that tension. These guys were no different. You know, they were doing stupid stuff to each other and they were picking on each other and they were teasing each other with loaded weapons. I remember, uh, I, I remember reading, uh, and granted this is from the American revolution, but, uh, the diary of, uh, Joseph Plum Martin, mm-hmm. he talks about it in one of his accounts where, uh, some of the members of his company went to go play a trick on a guy that they didn't really like. And uh, what they did was they took some black powder and put it underneath a bucket that he likes to sit on and then lit it off and it sent him flying like 10 feet in the air. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That stuff happened a lot. These, these guys are young guys. They're, you know, some of them are 14 years old. They're 16 years old. They're 20. And it's like, yeah, I remember what I was like at that age. If I was bored, you know, I'd, I'd probably be doing some stupid stuff to people just to pass the time along because that's what you do. And I think we, we put these guys on such a pedestal sometimes and, and make them to be, we mythologize them. Like I'm saying, uh, like we do with Chamberlain, we do it with the guys on the line too. And we, and we say that, uh, you know, I've heard people say, oh, they never, they never ducked when bullets came their way. They just walked straight ahead and i'm like no these guys were leaning into it and they were scared to death and they talked about it uh so i think it's really cool though to find those little nuggets of when their their uh immaturity if you will shows through when they're like we got to do something to break this monotony or i'm gonna go crazy you know and they do these little things to each other while they're waiting, even while they're waiting on the line for that massive bombardment to happen on July 3rd, they know something's coming. They just don't know when or where, so they might as well have some fun until it happens. And, um, you know, they're, they're picking on each other constantly along there. There was a great story from one of the union Army's uh, commanders on, on, he was around the Bryan farm, which is near Ziegler's Grove, close to the high water mark there where Pickett's charge came through and uh some confederates came across there during Pickett's charge and were were taken prisoner they were pinned down and they surrendered and a pretty good amount of them and what they didn't know was that the uh the federals were pretty beat up in that part the artillery bombardment really slapped them and then they got they had this infantry attack 
And one of the officers, one of these Confederate officers came up past there uh, as a prisoner with some of his men. And he looked around and he said, you know, if I would have known there was only this many of you, I wouldn't have surrendered. And the, the federal officer looked at him and goes, well, you can go back and try again if you'd like. And it's just these little snide comments where it's like their humanity, like bring them down from these statues and show that they can be a wise ass. That they see can you in hell, Bill, pick, Billy Rapp or yeah, Johnny Rapp. Yeah, that they can pick on each other, that they can be that because they're human. Uh, that's that's the beauty of the story is that they were like us uh, in that way, or we're kind of like them. And it just so happened we're 160 years apart. And, and you know, that's why I hate when people are like, oh, uh, you know, the, this generation wouldn't be able to do that. And it's like they did it. And they, and they were the young kids at that time. Um, you know, I think we need to look at movies like this and say, you know, we, we would have been stuck in that situation and, and I'm glad we're not. And who knows what it would have been like, but it's, it's showing the humanity is a great thing. And there are those little vignettes in the movie Gettysburg where it kind of comes through a little bit and you get to see some guys on the line, but the way Jack said about it, making it like a 10 part, or a five-part uh, Band of Brothers-like thing is what I'm still waiting for in the mid-19th century world uh, where you take like U.S. Army soldiers at a certain battle or whatever and you do something like that where you get to learn the characters and you get to understand them uh, for who they are and each individual character has her individual little things. Just like all three of us talking here, we have our own individual ways of doing things and mannerisms and all that. And then put them into this massive uh, uh, thresher of this this meat grinder of Civil War combat and, and watch it unfold. I think that would be uh, very instrumental in having us restart the conversations about the war in a different way. Because I think we've sanitized it too much with things like Gettysburg, because, you know, you see these guys, like you say, flying through the air and there's no body parts flying off. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. You know, there'd be stuff well, flying everywhere. That, that is something that me and Jack have discussed quite a bit is, uh, so when we did our review of the Alamo, that film was rated PG 13. And one of our things that we said was, if this movie had gone for that hard R rating, it probably would have been improved by at least like 25%. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to imagine, I get trying to make films, you know, obviously this is more set out as an educational goal type film than it is entertainment. Um, but it just, it doesn't make one bit of sense to me to have you know like we said one of the one of the most famous battles in north american history be a pg rated film mm-hmm. it just it doesn't equate and you know it's like you said with sanitization like this was a bloody and, and gruesome battle and this film does a disservice to how violent this battle actually was i get you know just like with the alamo if this movie was bumped up from a pg to a PG-13, I think it would have made quite a bit of difference just because, you know, 
this isn't Disney producing Mulan, which is also on our war movie list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but here's the thing is Disney's Mulan has a much different goal than a movie like Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it Gettysburg is very, it wasn't Gettysburg wasn't designed to be marketed to a seven or eight year old, even though a lot of seven year and eight year olds did go and see it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I saw Black Hawk Down come out in theaters, uh, the like the day it was released. And I was about seven or eight when that happened. Black Hawk Down was a hundred percent not designed for a seven or eight year old mm -hmm. to see. And, you know, obviously they're, you know, each parent is going to have to make their own choice as to, as far as what their kids are going to be seeing, but I couldn't imagine seeing Black Hawk Down in a PG format. It just would not do justice to that topic. Just kind of like doing PG for Gettysburg is not doing justice to how you know horrific this thing actually was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's well said. Uh, I, I I think that that would be the thing that would help us understand what we can really do to each other. Uh, in a civil war uh we we haven't really seen that in film you know uh, and i think that would help us to get past this kind of uh cleanliness and making making conflict between each other easy that's what scares me is when when, when we make each, when we make it easy to have conflict between each other because we have disagreements uh, and we say, well, they did it so we can do that. And it's like, but you're missing the point. You know, uh, you don't, you watch Gettysburg and you don't see the 5,000 bodies that are laying out there and need to be buried. The 7,000, or excuse me, the 7,000 bodies that need to be buried. The 5,000 animals that need to be buried or burned. You don't see Camp Letterman and on the massive hospital structures. Uh, you don't see the piles of limbs. Uh, you don't see any of that. Glory tries to bring that across in the hospital scene, which was a great, a great scene. Other than the fact the guy was probably under anesthesia, uh, you know, he, we had plenty to go around. That, that, but you know, bringing that to life and saying this is bloody, this is this is the battle scene, the Antietam battle scene in Glory is absolutely incredible. And if if anyone hasn't seen that. Just watch that one. See, <laughs> you know, it's it's we, absolutely incredible. We actually did watch that in my middle school history class, but I was Ooh. sick the day they finished it off, and I'm still bitter about that. Mm. Well, someday we'll we'll get around to glory. Yes, yes. Glory, glory was uh, was the was this was the epitome at that time, and it's rated R. So, so again, John, we're going to your point of you bump that up. And you showcase it for what it quote could have looked like, and you put it up there, and you give it that R rating to show how raw and emotional and and uh, dirty war really is. Then you can do something with that. And I think that we just got to the point where we made it too clean and too easy, and we we got comfortable, comfortable enough for a twelve year old kid to say, "I want to do that." You know, uh, so it was really a reenactment movie, you know, um, instead of a, a movie to make you think about the costs, um, 
because you know everybody got up at the end and everybody clapped. Right. So, <laughs> you know, and I think I think that's what it is. We 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 have, three cheers for Virginia boys. Yeah, we have we have uh, in our minds we have placed these guys on the reenactment field, and I think that really does a huge disservice to them because we're used to people doing the reenactments and getting up and walking off the field and you, and you move on with your life. And, uh, I think that if we had something like glory or a band of brothers or the Pacific or something to that effect, I think that would really restart a conversation in a new way for your generation of, of historians and the next generation of historians, because now we're seeing it as we do with uh, the new all quiet on the Western front, where some people say it's too grotesque. And I'm like, it's the first world war. It's going to be grotesque. You know, it's going to be ugly. Uh, it's not right. babies and, and, and stuff happening here. Um, so I think that's, I think that'd be the one thing it's been 30 years. Um, and uh, we've often said, does the Ken Burns series need to be remade with the new and updated information? Well, does Gettysburg need to be remade, but in a new way, maybe with I'm sure you're going to get a lot of, series. you're going to get a lot of upset people with that statement. Yeah. Yeah. There, there have been, we're, we're still engaged in that conversation. Does the Ken Burns series need to be remade? Um, well, that goes back to the, you know, Shelby foot, obviously, mm-hmm was a big proponent of, uh, you know, lost cause and leaning into mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I remember we watched the entire Ken Burns series in high school and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even though we were in a trans transitioning period of history education, as far as civil war goes, you still, you still have a, you know, it is the preeminent civil war documentary. So you got a lot of people who are still getting influenced by those old views, right? Right. And, and no one's made a better one yet. Um, I, I can't, I can't point you to one. I mean, A and E tried, uh, with, uh, civil war journals. I was, I was involved in the shooting for civil war combat. Um, uh, and that was decent, but again, we're talking about combat. We're not talking about why we're combating, <laughs> you know, we're, we got to get to the heart of why they're even out there in the first place. Uh, that's a difficult question we don't talk about that yeah yeah yeah. we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable with that uh you know but but history is the original f your feelings right yep you gotta look at the primary sources and what do they say and and who was the audience and what are they trying to tell you with that document uh we can't look past the secession documents because we can't look past our own declaration of independence and that was their declarations of independence so sorry that's that's it's there and and uh yeah this movie tried to gloss that over in a way and just make it a combat movie which wasn't even a bloody combat movie well you see we're just a bunch of gentlemen trying to leave a club that's right they made it into a large (laughs) duel basically and and uh it was good for the time but i would really love to see like jack said i'd really love to see a short three to five part Netflix style miniseries that really gets to the heart of the matter as far as what it was like for these guys on the line. And uh, I know that many people would be revolted by it and that's all the better because <laughs> I want you to be revolted about civil war. I don't want you to yeah. be easy. Yeah. There's, 
there's nothing about a war that should make you be like yeah that looks fun there god there i read this really good quote by sherman years after the civil war when he was giving a speech at like a west point graduation and i'm sure you've two have heard it but it starts off like i see in every one of you the desire to become like me to lead your nation to glory and in the face of battle and then he just bluntly tells them yeah no it's all it's all moonshine like Mm -hmm you don't want to become me like the things I've seen on the war path will stay with you for life. War is a terrible thing. And I pray none of you see it in your lifetimes. Mm -hmm. He was very blunt Sherman. Yeah. Well, in in all things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess you kind of have to be blunt when, uh, you burn half a country to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, it, it was one of those things where uh, uh, he knew better than a lot of them how how the war was going to go. He told them early on. He told the people in Washington, this is going to be a long war. This isn't going to be short. And they said, you're crazy, old man. Just get out of here. And then they brought him back because they're like, yeah, this guy's not so crazy. He's uh, He knows that this is going to be bad. And, and the things that he did uh, that, that uh, is up for another podcast, I'm sure, uh, it's, it's the same thing that, that was done in the French and Indian War around Quebec City. It was the same thing that was done in the sacking of how many places in Europe. It, it was nothing new. And my hometown was burned by rebels. So, I mean. Atlanta? It, no, wait. That no. was different. Yeah, it, Atlanta was burned oh. by the Union. My hometown of Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, was burned by rebels in uh, 1864, held held for, held for ransom and then burned. Uh, my home state wasn't even in the United States at the time, so we kind of sat this one out. Speaking of having your hometown burned, what do you think about that scene with Lee, where uh, I think is his uh, subordinate major, his like camp to aide, was talking to him, and uh, he's like this army will comport themselves with the utmost respect mm-hmm. yeah. to the local civilian populace. I'm like, yeah. hold up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, like, I had, wait, how, how they had all their horses, all their horses stolen three times by the, <laughs> by the Confederate army. Once in 1862 by Jeb Stewart's raid, 63 by Lee's invasion of the North and 64 when they came to burn the town. They, they took all the horses from my family's farms around there and the livestock and everything else they could do. Didn't get anything in return. Uh, they also, uh, they also, as many people know now and have to embrace this fact, they also kidnapped a lot of black people from around my hometown and sent them south into slavery. So when we look at the movie Gettysburg, you don't see one black person under the other than the one person who's supposed to be a runaway. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't say anything either. No, and that Confederate army had a lot of enslaved people with them. And and who's who's doing all the work in the camps? They tell they say it themselves. The Confederate soldiers tell you themselves that they have all these camp aides and stuff. Yeah, they're camp aides, all right. They're enslaved people. And yeah. they bring, and they pick up more when they come through Upper Maryland, Lower Pennsylvania, all the way up to the Susquehanna. That's why uh, Abraham Bryan 
the Brian farm, like I mentioned earlier, he got his family out because he was a free person of color. There were others from Gettysburg who were, who were black, uh, who got the heck out of there because they heard what had happened in my town of Chambersburg and Mercersburg, which is beyond us to the Southwest. Uh, the Confederates hit there first before they made this big arch into Chambersburg. There was a part of the town called Little Africa. And Little Africa was a was a little spot where people of free persons of color had come to after they had crossed the Mason Dixon line. The Army of Northern Virginia cleaned that out and took people out of there and back into a state of slavery. So this isn't an innocent movement of people into Pennsylvania and they're there for flapjacks and a good time. <laughs> okay. So we have to, we have to remember that. And that, and, and people take that so personally when I bring that up and I say, you're not the one who did it, <laughs> you know, uh, right. I'm, I'm actually, right. I'm actually, I'm actually a descendant of someone who enslaved someone. So uh, he was from North Carolina back in the 1700s. I don't take that personally. I see it as my duty to say that was wrong, <laughs> you know, but some people, right. But the thing with Gettysburg and the movie Gettysburg was it showcased how some people have to will will defend the honor of their ancestors, which that's fine, by defending the cause they fought for, which I always thought was weird. Um, you know, you can say your ancestor was, uh, you know, uh, brave on the battlefield. Anyone who can face that is brave on the battlefield. I, there's no way I would question that. But to say that their cause was just on top of that, I think is where the folly is. And uh, I just don't, I don't get that. I don't understand that. And I don't know if I ever will. I think it's, it's one thing to be proud of your, I don't know if pride is the, the right word I want to be. I think it's one thing to, to have an appreciation for your family history. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But you know, it's, it's like you said, you can appreciate the fact that an ancestor of yours was a part of a particular period of time and at a particular event. You don't have to uh, agree with it or align yourself with it no. uh, to still appreciate their role in it. That's right. That's right. Your ancestor may have hated your guts. <laughs> yeah. If, if I, mean, I met, if I met my ancestor from 150 years ago, Something tells me we would not see eye to eye on about 99% of things. Right. You can respect them as your ancestor, as your blood, which you should respect them as I'm not telling anybody to disrespect their ancestors, but that doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything and you have to agree with everything they did. And, and I, that's, that's the thing. This movie really didn't allow us to have that conversation. Uh, because it wasn't made for that conversation and it was at a time where we weren't having these conversations, uh, which is why I'm so glad that we are to the point where we are, uh, in the history field at least, and we are moving in a, in a better direction on top of that. We can have these conversations now and we don't have to be like, oh, I don't fit in. Well, this is the accepted thing now and, and it should be. Uh, that we have these kinds of conversations that go a little bit deeper than just the movie. It goes to the point of what was the mindset when this movie was made and uh, how have we changed? Because historical memory is fluid. It's always right. changing. And uh, we're having these conversations all the time and it's perfectly acceptable to do that. And uh, I'm constantly learning. We're, we're always going to be students. 
And uh, I will admit when I'm wrong because I've been wrong many times. Uh, but I think that understanding that we have a lot to learn is the key instead of saying we know so much. Uh, I, I don't like to say that. I like to say I have a lot to learn. So, you know, uh, it's when we shut ourselves off and say, I don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, I know what's best for X, Y, Z. I don't want to hear anymore. That's where we face a problem. And I think that really showcases where I've come from, from reenacting in the nineties when certain things were accepted to now 30 years can make a hell of a difference guys. It definitely, it definitely can. And Getting back to the point from earlier, I know for a fact both sides of my ancestors would hate me. <laughs> but yeah, they're dead. Fuck them. <clears throat> That's hey. one way of looking at it. Hey, it's it's like I said, you know, uh, you can respect them, but I don't mean you have to agree with them. So you know, that's so. Uh, for our listeners at home, I. Obviously, they can't see us, but uh, I saw you just finished up your, uh, what did you have, Coke Zero there? Oh, yeah. I'm a big Coke Zero guy. We uh, Part of our show is we have a recurring thing where we talk about our drinks of the evening. Usually, mm-hmm. we do uh, something of the alcoholic nature, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I let Jack know in uh, commemoration of your upcoming Tenure of uh, sobriety, we have both uh, switched to non-alcoholic for this episode. Wow! Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm, so, I'm uh, honored. Well, it's a it's a big achievement. Thank you, thank you. That's something else. I've broken the mold in my family. I'm the fourth generation alcoholic, and I'm the only one who went sober. So I'm sure some others would not like me. <laughs> I'm fine with that. But thank you for that, guys. Uh, I. I I don't want you to think you have to not drink for me. I'm perfectly okay with other people drinking. It's just I, I don't have the uh, on-off switch. Out of respect. Yeah. Thank you. Thank like you. I said, ten years is a it's a big milestone. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very what do you have? What do you have in tonight, Jack? Only the finest water that Taco John's has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was gonna make tea, but I forgot we were recording at seven p.m. I thought we were doing it at our usual time. So I yeah. kind of had to rush. This one was a uh, is a little different for us because obviously you're on the East Coast, Jack right. is in Central, yeah. and I'm in Mountain Time Zone. So <laughs> scheduling gets a little tricky sometimes. I think this is the first time I've ever done a podcast or live stream or anything like that where we're in three different time zones. So this is this is interesting. <laughs> it's always it's always one of the first questions I ask because I have yet to come across a guest who is willing to come on who lives in the same time zone as me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, cause I live in Colorado. Um, and if you look at the population reports, you would think it wouldn't be that difficult to find a guest who also lives in the mountain time zone, but right. It's, it's, uh, it's harder than you think. Huh? Yeah. We, we, we take, uh, we take it for granted here on the East coast. We're like, Oh, East coast time. Everyone will know. Yeah, cause all that. the TV shows are on Eastern time. Right. You have to adjust from there. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I have to watch out for that myself too because I'm talking with people from England and uh, Australia and our places for my interviews, and I'm like, oh yeah, I got to get a calculator out to figure out what time, <laughs> what time this is, and and uh, you know, because I'm like, I'll talk to you at ten, which is three your time. 
So I get it. I understand. How's it how's it feel to be on the uh the other end of the the podcast interview format? Because I because I know that's how I originally came across you was your podcast. So is it kind of a, a nice refreshing change to be the the focus of attention? Uh it's more relaxing. <laughs> uh, because I'm not running anything. I'm just being myself. And that really helps a great deal. I do love, uh, I do love my, my stuff as far as like running live streams or, or recording or whatever the case may be. I love the technical aspect of it, but once in a while, it's great to come on other programs and just chill and hear what other people have to say, um, and, and be a guest. So it doesn't happen a lot because I'm so overwhelmed with bringing people on my stuff and filling my schedule with that. But it is a nice, it is a nice change. And, uh, and, and I do enjoy it just as much as, as I do hosting things. Uh, my thing was always, I wanted to be on the radio. And, uh, so I like to be like producing and, and editing and, and getting people you know, to email me back when they do and, and to talk about books and stuff like that. So it is a nice little change of pace to be on, uh, your show guys and, and to be hanging out with you and, uh, and, and to just kick back and relax and drink my soda and talk about nerdy stuff. Well, I'm glad. (laughs) I like to joke that this podcast was my, uh, early midlife crisis. (laughs) A um, mutual friend of ours said the same daddy issues that drive women to sex work drive men to make podcasts. <laughs> wow. That's that's good. I like, that. I like that. Yeah. My midlife crisis is going to get my PhD. That's my midlife crisis. Uh, Your midlife and- crisis is a lot more productive than ours. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, you know, uh, but uh, I, I think the whole thing is we we've talked so much about Gettysburg, about Civil War, about other war movies, that this is why this chapter of my life has kind of shifted and, and closed is because I've been doing it since I was, well, I reenacted for 25 years and, and I'd done history for years. And now it's time to focus on like the technical end of things and digital humanities and technology, because sometimes you scratch that itch you know, and you're like, okay, uh, I can't talk about Gettysburg much more as far as like going there and, and doing a live thing, which is my privilege kind of showing that I grew up 25 miles away. Uh, but, you know, some of us get to that point where we're like, well, what else can I do? And uh, I'm to that point now where I want to keep the live streams going, the podcast going, because I love that stuff. It's just the focus is changing for me and one of you two or both of you might get to that point where you're like, Hey, I'm not going to forget this, but let's, let's transition to something in the same parallel course, uh, that still gets that fire going, but maybe not as, as we've done it before. And that's perfectly fine. And, uh, I think far too many of people in my generation and possibly in your generation, we get stuck in these kind of things where we're like, well, I got to keep grinding and do this and do this and do this when it's like, yeah, you can still do that, but you don't have to talk about that exact thing. Um, so I'm in that point where it is like a midlife crisis, you know, where it is kind of like, do I go a new routes for the next 20 years or do I keep 
doing the same things I've been doing and I, and I want to challenge. And, uh, so that's why I even jumped on Twitch originally was I wanted a challenge and I, and I started building the YouTube channel cause I wanted a challenge because I never learned any of that stuff. I graduated from my master's degree program in 2013. We didn't even learn digitization. And so now I had to learn all this. So this is like the next step, um, uh, in the process. And, you know, I, I, I'm working behind the scenes on some collaborations with podcasts and, uh, for the future and into 2024. And so what you guys are doing is, is going to be part of this large community uh, of, of podcasters who want to have their voice heard, uh, literally, uh, but it's going to add to this historical narrative in, in different ways because we could talk about the same thing on our podcast, but it's going to come across two or three different ways. And that's the beauty of what we do because it's all a fingerprint and everyone's different. Sorry, I wanted to preach there for a moment. <laughs> no, that was, no, no, that was beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I've, I've grown wiser in my old age and sobriety helped. <laughs> so i think it's uh i think it's about that time to rate the film so uh, uh before that i'd like to add something okay you 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 make your point and then we'll we'll get to the rating earlier we were talking about the what was that brigade called the snappily dressed ones the zuas zua we were yeah. talking about the zuas and that led into a discussion about that particular part of Civil War history. And you, John, mentioned that it's a gateway. <laughs> and I was going to build on top of that. Like, there's so many examples of like gateway drugs. Like, say, ex for example, you're seven years old and you watch one documentary on the History Channel, and then boom, you're a depressed adult listening to the, a history podcast at three in the morning because you've lost control of your life. <laughs> and that's where we come in. That's our niche. Hey, hey, someone, someone's in that same boat. <laughs> you're never alone. When you're you know what? Here. There's, there's more than one person who's lost control of their life. Cause I've seen our, our listening metrics. So <laughs> what are our well, metrics? I mean, I mean, I'm a 42 year old guy who's trying to do TikToks. I mean, come on, <laughs> come on, you know, it's, it's hey, like one you know, of my favorite TikTokers is like this 90 year old woman who. She's just got the the greatest attitude in the world where everybody's like, Oh, you're so beautiful. You just wore you know, wore that outfit great. And she's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. as you were saying, John, continue. So uh I think it's about that time we we rate the film. So I don't know if you're familiar with our our rating system, but uh what we do is we come up with a a custom rating uh, that's only applicable to this film. It's usually on a scale of one to five, whatever objects. And then uh, after we've each given our rating and reason for that rating, uh, we check it against the Rotten Tomatoes thermometer and see how close we are. So um, what do we think the, the metric should be for the movie Gettysburg? What do you think, Jack? See, I was thinking maybe X number of charges out of 10. <laughs> out of 10? Yeah. 
So we're going to 10 <laughs> now? Okay. <laughs> or five, if that's a more manageable John, how number. many do you want? Do you want five? Yeah, sure. Let's do one to five, yeah, five. charges. One to five. Yeah, charges. one or five charges. Wow. Okay. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Um, I'd give this movie about three to 3.5 charges out of five. Why? Yeah, it's just <laughs> a, a PG Gettysburg movie and all the issues we were talking about that you guys covered better than I could put into words. He, he had a lot more to say last week when we were doing Starship Troopers. Oh, I wouldn't have anything to say about that. I've never watched that. <laughs> oh, oh man, I, was, fantastic I was I was there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's a great about it's a great historical documentary if you're ever five out of five one. cockroaches. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You, do you, would you like to know more? <laughs> wow. I'll go listen to that episode next. <laughs> uh, I you know what? I I say that this is the top two Civil War movies of all time. And and that's personal opinion, obviously, and it has a little yeah. bit of nostalgia involved and stuff like that. However, Which you respect. Yeah. However, uh, what I will say is that I see it for what it is, and and uh, I've seen many great movies in my life, and I have to uh, agree partially with Jack here, and I have to give it three and a half. Uh, because of the fact that there are so many historical shortcomings with it that are major themes, not the uniforms are wrong or whatever else, but the major things we talked about uh, gloss over the true impact of what the war was about and what the combat was about uh, and, and like. So I will say that uh, that's the shortcoming that I see. Uh, so I'm going to go, I, I would go four, but I'm not feeling it uh, like, Glory to me is like a four or five. So I'm going to go three, five on this one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. E2, John. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I, this one is, it's a really hard one for me to rate. There are, there are scenes in this that I love. I love the little round top charge scene. I love the scene where Lee is talking to Jeb Stewart, the, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not time for that now. Like, <laughs> just there, interrupts him. There, there's some great performances in this. Um, I thought Jeff Daniels did a great job. I thought mm-hmm. uh, Martin Sheen did a great job as Lee. Um, even though there was issues with his betrayal and there was issues with the portrayal of Longstreet, I thought Longstreet was a really interesting character in this film. Um. The thing that kills me is if you if if you go into this movie not knowing anything about the battle or the Civil War, you are going to get a very skewed image of what this was and what the conflict was. And that that bothers me more than the good performances make up for it in my mind. Um, me as a history nerd, it was, it was a tough film to watch. I, I, I had to stop. I, you know, I took this film in probably three different chunks and, um, for, for that reason, you know, this, this is a, this is a movie 
that was made by reenactors for reenactors. It's mm-hmm. it's not a movie made for the general public. It's not made even for history buffs, really. Um, it, it it is a it is a reenactor film, and I think it it has its place. And I even though I enjoy the film, I have to give it one charge. Wow. And it's Damn, it's going wow. it's going to be one charge up the little round top, not even a pickets charge. Wow! What? Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> That's that is my hot take. Wow! That is a very hot take, as the kids say. <laughs> Indeed. So come at me, Twitter. <laughs> Man, you're gonna get our you're gonna alienate our southern listeners. <laughs> yeah, all three all three of them. You're gonna start another civil war. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's I. We lost all our Texas listeners after the Alamo. So, mm. yeah, that was that was my bad. <laughs> so, what does what does Rotten Tomatoes even give this thing? Oh, it's right. Like, oh, yeah. We gotta see where we landed. Yeah, so, what, get Disberg. I've never looked this up. I don't know. I just Rotten Tomatoes is an interesting place because oh, yeah. it either lands exactly where you think it is, or it is completely off base of where you think a film should be. Mm. So, for the audience score, they gave it an 89%. The <sighs> Tomometers gave it a 77%. No and way. For the first time in this podcast history, I got to go with the critics on this one. Mm. Like, I usually side on the audience members because that's where I find myself, audience. I'm not a critic. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, th- I think this is the first time I've ever sided with the critics. I think they more or less got it right on this one. And the critics were at 77? Critics were 77 and the audience was 89%. So John is at 20%. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, John. Wow. I'm Well, well we're, we're about... What do I know? 70% would be ours. So there you go. Well, it just shows, just goes to show you guys are better at reviewing films than me. It just goes to we're show more, everybody's a critic. Yeah, we're we're more merciful, I think, is the word. Yeah, yeah. I put nostalgia points in there, so yeah. But uh, I think so. Usually, what we do after this is we usually uh, pick or decide our next film. But uh, before we get to that, um, I you know obviously you mentioned being involved with YouTube and Twitch and all that, so. If you want to take this moment to hop on the soapbox and preach the good word of the tattooed historian and let us know about all the things you got going on and any big, exciting things that you want the people to know about, have at it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, basically, you can go on to most social media platforms and just look up the tattooed historian. I'm sure you'll find me on there. Uh, I even have an OnlyFans, but I don't use it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yet, if it if it still gets really bad, we may have to do something here. Uh, we'll see how your but, student loan situation turns out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's why I went back to school because I have to stop paying on them. Um, anyway, the uh, but no, really, if you go to any social media site, the major ones, you'll find me. Just look up the tattoo historian. You'll find me on YouTube. You'll find me on Twitch. Uh, the only one that's different is uh, uh, Twitter. It's inked historian because the tattoo historian doesn't fit uh but everything else is the tattoo historian 
And uh, I kind of, you know, play the long game with this whole thing where you're getting a little piece of the puzzle on each social media site. So what you see on Twitch is going to be slightly different than what you'll see on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel is growing and I want to thank everybody for helping me with that. Uh, the podcast is called the Tattoo Historian Show. So don't mean to plug in our podcast on a podcast, but uh, well, that's why we'll, we brought you here. We'll work together on that. Um, but yeah, I've been working on that since 2018 or so. Uh, and uh, it's been it's been fun off and on, but it's been working out okay. And uh, projects I have in the future, uh, a lot of it, a lot of author interviews coming up that will be seen on my YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to be doing some trivia nights as well, possibly on Twitch. Uh, so I'm going to do a trivia maker quiz series and we'll be doing that on my twitch channel uh here coming up uh no prizes just yet just bragging rights and uh we'll we'll come up with ideas for that and maybe co-hosts as well uh so instead of regular gaming we'll do some trivia with the chat and uh, all, all of you right. can join in and we can have trivia nights every once in a while uh, we're also doing a lot of top three events on YouTube where we pick out our top three whatever. And uh, we're going to be doing uh, the latest one will be top three cartoons of the 1980s. Um, so you can see I'm trained as a military historian, but I'm I'm tired and I want to do other stuff. So we're doing music and we're doing cartoons and we're doing all this other stuff. So uh, I better see G.I. Joe on that list. Yep. I was about to say that. I'm not giving you my list. You have to watch and find <laughs> out. I'm, I'm going to be joined by uh, uh, Blake Scott Ball is coming on. He and I did top three of the 90s cartoons. Uh, he wrote a book on Peanuts, the the comic strip Peanuts. And oh, I have, I have his book in my Amazon wish list. So. There you go. Uh, he is getting ready to write a book on Batman. So uh, this is going to be an awesome one. How awesome is that? You can be a professor and write about comics and and all that stuff. It's it's great. History is fantastic. But that's where you can find me online. Anywhere you find uh, the tattooed historian, just look me up and you will find me. Yeah, I just subscribed to you. Also, oh, you had you the had podcast already trivia. netted you another follower. See, thank you, thank you, Jack. That's a net gain for you. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm definitely interested in your Twitch trivia. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. I, I have a list of ideas for the trivia, like overall. Uh, I just have to come up with questions. So it's going to be interesting coming up with like 30 or 40 questions to do like a two hour event with with breaks, but it'll be fine. We'll, we'll work it out. And Me and Jack were quite competitive at trivia in college. There was a, a local bar that uh, the winning trivia team got a $50 gift certificate. Ooh. And a glass. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, and we never won, but <laughs> we did beat the professor team once, though. So that's well, all this, that matters. This uh, this method that I'm going to be doing this at for anyone listening and for you guys, uh, you'll be able to either scan a QR code on your screen, or you'll just type in a website address, a short one with a code, and then you'll be able to use your cell phones as your devices to pick out your stuff. So you can pick your answers that way. Uh, so it's very interactive and, uh, you know, the, the quicker you do it, the more points you get. And, uh, it's like, it's like, whose line was it anyway? Uh, the points don't matter, but it's just bragging, <laughs> it's bragging rights. So right. we'll fun with that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because there's a bar trivia in the town I'm in 
that I used to go to, but the woman putting it on caught a DUI and now is not allowed in bars, so there's no trivia anymore. That is not why I quit drinking, by the way, everybody listening. <laughs> so, so if I finally get to do trivia again, which yes. is upsetting to me because I was like in the top 10 teams of that league. I'll but, get back involved in this. We'll do it on Twitter. Yeah. I love love trivia. I have, I'm just a gold mine of useless knowledge in my head. Aren't we all? Right. <laughs> That's why we do history. Yeah, so I'm doing, so I'm on this podcast. There you go. He's here for the comedic relief. Mm. Yeah, I'm the goofball. Mm. You're the tattooed historian. He's the history apprentice, and I'm just a guy who really liked History Channel as a kid. Does that fit into a username or? No, no. Okay. No. <laughs> That's, that definitely sounds too long for Twitter. Yeah, There's my definitely. Co- yeah. Coincidentally, Elon, Elon history didn't is allow also that. my best no, subject no. Yeah. in school. <laughs> so speaking of plugs, uh, if you like the show, leave a uh, review. Stars do matter. You can find uh, Armchair Commanders podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Give those a follow. Um, we also have a YouTube channel. It's my YouTube channel. It's History Apprentice on YouTube, but that's where you could find uh, another place for our episodes. Um, for next week, Jack, uh, sorry to steal your thunder on this one, but uh, we have another guest coming on, and by the guest rules, that means they get to choose the movie. Actually. Um, <clears throat> So next week, I'm excited to announce that we will have JD from the History Underground channel joining us. And he is really big in the YouTube game. He's at like uh, 500,000 subscribers right now. Uh, Real popular guy. Uh, And he has chosen, and I'm shocked by this, given the amount of Civil War content he himself produced, but... Uh, he has chosen The Monuments Men, starring George Clooney, John Goodman, and uh, the other guys. His name is escaping me. He was in Grace Beer Run Ever as the bartender. Ah, that guy. The colonel. Yeah. Guy. yeah. Uh, Ghostbusters. Bill Murray. Yeah, there we go. There you Bill go. Murray, ah, too. Nothing but the net. So, if I remember correctly, that came out in 2013 and is about the arts, the arts division of uh, the U.S. Army, whose job was to try and prevent art from being destroyed during the advance across Europe. Mm -hmm. So, that is what we will be discussing next week. Uh, Jack, do you have anything before we sign off? Nothing. Nothing. I've had monuments met on my list, so that's going to be exciting. I am I am interested to, to see how that one turns out. I remember seeing it in theaters, and I'll have to see if it uh, lives up to what I remember of it. So um, if there is nothing else, John, it was great having you on with us. Um, hope you'd be willing to come back. Um, it was a great conversation we had with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Well, with that being said, I think it's time to sign off. Uh, I've been John. I'm Jack. You can say it yourself, John. Oh, uh, hey, I'm John too. So I mean, you know, we're kind of like, we're kind of like John, John squared here. Yeah, you're John. John with an H. I am John with an H. Yes, yes. yes. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us and we'll see you next week.